0: Well, good morning. Today we start a brand new series over the next six weeks. We're going to be in Genesis chapter one for a series called The Beginning, um, which, of course, is what Genesis tells us about. In the first chapter, we're looking especially at the moment God spoke the universe into motion, the moments that God spoke light into being, the moments God brought humanity into life. We're looking at these very inceptional days for the existence of all things. We're able to learn so much from this first chapter in the book of Genesis, which helps us to understand really who we are and what we've been made for and how we are to be together as men and women made in the image of God in a universe full of beauty and diversity and wonder. I hope as we spend the next six weeks going through Genesis chapter 1, we'll find we are strengthened by the truth that's there, that we will find again a tremendous sense of purpose and of value as we look at these very, very early days of the existence of humanity together. Later on, we'll go through Genesis 2 and 3 in separate series linked to this one. But today we begin in Genesis chapter 1, and the title for today's sermon is this, Before the Beginning. Let's look at Genesis 1 verse 1 together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a remarkable start to this book. We find that there is no um, qualification or explanation for who this God is who was there in the beginning when the heavens and the earth were made and of course as someone who approaches this as it were for the first time as a new book and reads this first verse is going to ask aren't they who is this God where has this God come from maybe what was this God doing before the beginning We don't get in this opening scene answers to those questions, which are questions which perhaps many of us have wondered about and speculated over. The reason is, this is God's story. This is God's story, written by him for our good and for our benefit, but this is his story. But I do want us to spend some time today thinking about that question. What was God doing before the beginning? And we get given some very clear answers to that question through the Bible. We're going to focus upon three very explicit answers to that question as we go through the sermon today. The 20th century preacher A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I wonder if you agree with him. Let me ask you this. What comes into your mind first when you think about God? What comes into your mind first when you think about God? Does your first thought about who God is or something about his nature, would it be true of him six billion years ago? To pluck a random large number from the top of my head. So if, you, if the first thing you think of when you think of God is God is my saviour, or God is creator, or God is healer, or God is provider, these are things that are absolutely true of who God is, wonderfully true of who God is, but they're true of who God is since the beginning. So God saves, God heals, God provides for us. But before the beginning, of course, he wasn't saving. Before the beginning, there was no creation. Creation happened. So what can we say about God that is so true to his nature and to his being that these are qualities of God that have always been and always existed? You see, this principle, where identity is determined not primarily on the basis of function, or on the basis of role, but on the basis of a a reality of being that's not dependent, as it were, upon time, this is an exercise that you and I must engage in to find our identity in something deeper than simply the things that we do or the roles that we have or the jobs that we have. So for example, in 500 years time, I very much doubt that I will be known as the director of training for commission. I will be known as a beloved child of God. That is therefore far more core to my identity than the job I have and the things that I do. So what about God? What should we say of God that is true of his nature and true of his being and always has been? And always will be, as it were, that which is true of him before the beginning, that which will be true of him after the ending. The first thing we're going to focus on is found in John chapter 17, verses 3 to 5. So let's just turn there. John 17, verses 3 to 5. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer wonderful prayer that he prayed not long before he would go to the cross. He prays for his disciples then and for us now. It's a wonderful prayer. I'd encourage you to read it. But he gives us as it were a window through which we're able to see right back into the distant past, back before the beginning. And and I want us to hear what he says in verses three to five. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. So the first thing I want to focus on is this, that before the beginning, there was a glorious relationship. A glorious relationship. Do you know this truth? God never became a father. God never became a son. God has eternally been the father, eternally been the son. So when in christianity we speak of the trinity we speak of the father the son and the holy spirit we are describing who god is and so to speak of the trinity and to speak of our trinitarian god who is perfectly one and three persons father son and holy spirit is actually to speak of a glorious relationship To speak of the Trinity is to speak of a relationship that has always existed and has always been, in a sense, the highest form of reality there is. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit having eternally existed in this glorious relationship. And so for me today to speak to you about this relationship is an extraordinary thing for me to do. I mean, mind-bogglingly, Remarkable thing for me to do, and challenging. Let me explain why by using this illustration. Let's say that I began the sermon like this. Today, everybody, I'm going to be speaking to you about Steve and Annie Chick's marriage. I've done my homework, I've worked very hard, I've done my research, and I've got 50 points. Let's go. Now, obviously, that would be an extraordinary thing for me to say and to do. It would be extremely uncomfortable, not least for Steve and Annie, and for me, to be perfectly honest, to be speaking about their marriage. What authority am I to speak about such a thing? Surely, if anyone was going to speak about the marriage of Steve and Annie Chick, it's Steve and Annie Chick. Because a relationship is a very personal thing, of course. But I am... Attempting to speak to you today, not just about any relationship. I'm attempting to speak to you today about the ultimate relationship. The relationship upon which all other relationships have been built or designed around. You see why it's a challenging thing for me to speak to you about today or for us to consider. However... Far from this relationship being a private matter, the life of Jesus Christ and his ministry has come to us to reveal the beauty and the wonder and the glory of this relationship. You see, Jesus has made it very, very clear. He has come to reveal the Father to us. He has come to make a way to the father he came to reveal god as the father and to speak of this beautiful relationship this perfect pure unspoiled relationship that has always existed far from being this private matter this relationship which we're not to really speak about because it's not ours Not only does Jesus bring a revelation of this relationship he has with his father to us. He goes further in that he issues an invitation to us to join in this beautiful, loving relationship. So that we, as Christians, are joined one to the other in Christ to this God who is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This ultimate relationship that has always existed and existed before the beginning in glory is one that Jesus has come and invited you and me to experience the goodness and the fullness and the wonder of it. Very often, when Christians attempt to explain the Trinity, we get caught up in all kinds of ridiculous metaphors. Mike Reeves has written a brilliant book which I'd encourage you to read called "The Good God." and And in this he, he, he's very funny. He just says how well, he lists all these ridiculous illustrations that we've used to explain the Trinity and like an egg with a shell and and the egg white and the yolk, and he says, "Oh, the God of the universe shouldn't be compared to an egg." I mean, it goes without saying. We get so confused unnecessarily. Jesus reveals the Trinity in a loving and glorious way as a son who speaks of his father. And he says, I had glory with you, a glory that existed before the foundation of the world. What is this glory? What is this glory that Jesus is speaking of here, The preacher and theologian John Piper describes God's glory like this. It is the radiance of his manifold perfections. And he says, those are poor words for the richest reality of all. In attempting to describe the glory of God, we are very held back by the limitations of our language. But his way of putting it is to say it's the radiance, it's the outshining, it's the the glorious display of all of his perfections. And Jesus here, as he speaks of this relationship, is describing this glory, the manifold perfections that the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit enjoyed before anything was made in perfect happiness when you think of god before the beginning we're not to think of this singular person floating around the great darkness bored scratching his head thinking i i need to do something to liven this place up because i don't want to spend another 10 billion years doing doing nothing by myself you know that's just the reality couldn't be further from the truth God has always been perfectly happy and gloriously fulfilled in this relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the creation is an overflow, is an, is an, out, an outspilling, as it were, of this glory that has always existed results in the explosive, glorious creation of the world. God was never bored before the beginning. God was gloriously happy. And Jesus, as he's praying this prayer, is, as it were, casting his mind back to before the beginning, to the glory of his relationship with his father and praying, let that glory, let, let, that, let me be glorified again. That I might glorify your name. It's a beautiful giving and receiving of glory that Jesus was speaking of here. Before the beginning, there was a glorious relationship. And here's the point I want to make by way of application to us we've been made in God's image. For us to have been made in the image of God isn't so much that we look like Him, God is Spirit. It's not about looking like God. It's rather about living like God. Our lives are to be lived in the image of God and his life, which is relationship. It's about giving and receiving. It's about loving and enjoying love. It's about celebrating the beauty of one who is unlike you in certain ways and thoroughly like you in another way. You see, the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father and the Holy Spirit is not the Son or the Father, but one God gloriously united in this beautiful relationship. And here's why this last year has been so tough. Because we've not been free to enjoy relationships the way we like to and need to. It's been so hard being separate from one another. Not being able to just pop round and visit a friend and give them a hug. Not being able to have people over for dinner. Not being able to, uh, to meet loved ones and family and, and, and to, to spend time with them as we've maybe taken for granted for a long time. We miss those things. It's why the greatest pain that you and I can experience is the loss of relationship through death, the death of a loved one. The longing for a relationship, maybe that's never come. Maybe longing to be married and having never been married and the pain of that. Maybe the longing for children. These are, are deep and real human pains and experiences which will be familiar to us. And the reason why they're so painful is because we've been designed and made by a relational God for us to also enjoy being in relationship. You see, before the beginning, there was a glorious relationship, and to be made in the image of God is for us also to be in relationship together. It's why we must fight for our unity. It's why we must resist division and any attacks of the evil one to cause division. he loves to do that he loves to divide he loves to to focus your attention onto an issue and go look at what that person has said and what that person has done and it can stir up in a sinful anger and even hatred these things never existed before the beginning these things have come as a result of the fall so the first thing is before the beginning there was a glorious relationship the second thing before the beginning there was love Let's look at John 17, verse 22 to 24. Jesus says this, I have given them, that is his disciples, the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. This sense of oneness and unity and togetherness so important to Jesus. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me, listen to this, because you loved me before the world's foundation. Before the world was made, there was love. Jesus was loved by the Father before the foundation of the world. And this is a crucial point that I want us just to think about for a moment. Very illuminating, it's a precious insight. If God is not Trinity, then who is God loving before he created? If God is a God of love, then if God is just a singular person, who was God loving before he created the universe? The implication of course is he needed to create in order to love. But what Jesus reveals to us is that love is absolutely foundational to who God is because love does not have a beginning. Love has eternally and always existed between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so therefore you can say that to love is ultimate reality, the ultimate reality, the reality that was always there before the creation of the universe. Love is what Jesus focuses on. And this is a real challenge to those that would teach that God is a singular person. That would be true of the Jehovah's Witnesses. It would be true of Muslims. And so the question to people who would say that is the one I've just raised. Well, who's God loving before he created? If love is core to his nature. So the Bible teaches God is love. God is love. If you want to know what pure, unspoilt love is. We look to God. We look to his display of that love. We see this in Matthew 3, 16 to 17, when Jesus is baptised. When Jesus was baptised, he went up immediately from the water and the heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is, Is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The great C.S. Lewis, in his book Mere Christianity, makes this point. All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love, but they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another. If God was a single person then before the world was made, he was not love. You see, this beautiful, wonderful doctrine of the Trinity, please don't just think this is some abstract theological idea which is just a headache to try and attempt to understand. No, 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 no. This is what Jesus has revealed. This is why Jesus has come, that we might know who God is and what God is like And he says, when you pray, you pray to our Father. And Jesus went and prayed to his Father. And by the Spirit living in us, we pray, Abba, Father. This ultimate relationship is one of undefiled, perfect love. It's the ultimate expression. It's ultimate reality. Hatred and envy, racism, sexism, elitism, classism, Lust and greed are evil deviations, evil deviations from the reality that existed before the beginning. The grace of God has come to work in us the beauty of this love, to melt, as it were, our cold, hard hearts to receive this love of God. It's why the psalmist writes, your love is better than life itself the love of God is better than life itself. And it's why you're longing for love, you're longing to be loved and to give love. It's so wonderful and God-given. And why on this planet, which unfortunately and sadly and tragically is full of so many letdowns and disappointments, we experience pain in that longing often. And while we have this wonderful hope That in Christ, that which is lost can be found. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And why I believe that as we look to him, and as we receive his love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, every desire and longing to be loved and to love is satisfied. And... Even now, we can have a taste of that and an experience of that. But when we see him face to face, when all of our sin leaves us forevermore, and all pain goes, we will spend all of our eternity delighting in this love. There will be no sense of loss. There will be no sense of disappointment or having missed out. There will be only a wonderful life lived in the love of God forevermore. As we look right back, to before the beginning, we see, as it were, also an anticipation of what will be after the ending. Glorious relationship and glorious loving relationship. And so my final point is this, before the beginning, there was a plan. Before the beginning, there was a plan. Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 4 says this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Before the beginning, there was a plan. Before there was a single atom created, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit planned that you and I would be rescued from our own evil and our own depravity and rebellion that we'd be rescued from those things as the son steps into the creation his creation as the son clothes himself with the very atoms and the very flesh that he has made that he would live a life perfectly for us, that he would never entertain a malicious or sinful thought, that he would never be arrogant or rude or, or, or rash, but would be full of kindness and gentleness and patience, that he would live the life which we've not been able to live. You see, there was a plan from before the beginning that the son would suffer in the place of men and women who've rejected God. That he would step into our courtroom and he would be judged in our place, knowing that we would be helpless to save ourselves. He comes to rescue us. That was the plan from before the beginning. The cross is central to the plan of God from the moment, from before the first moment began. That's a staggering thought. I appreciate there are many questions about why evil came into the world, and we're going to later on look at this in Genesis 3. But suffice to say right now, that evil coming into the world didn't originate in God, but God knew in his all-knowing power that it would come and what it would cost him. And he still created the universe knowing that he would be crucified that he would suffer like no one's ever suffered before in order to rid us and to join us here's the precious thing that in christ in christ we are chosen to be holy and blameless in love that we get to be drawn into this beautiful, perfect, glorious, loving relationship of God. That was the plan before the beginning. That was the plan and the purpose of God. And it brings him great glory. What a privilege it is for us that we might be called children of God, that you and I might be sons and daughters and that in 500, 500,000, 5 billion years' time, you're not going to be known for the job that you've got. And you're not going to be known for any great talents or achievements on your, on, in your life. You'll be known, though, as a loved child of God. And that's ultimate reality, to know that love. That's the love Jesus knew before the beginning. It's the love he came to share with us the so love we get to enjoy forevermore. There's no place I'd rather be than in his love. And as it were, surrounded by the arms of a good father. This is what it means for us to be in Christ today. So as we go through this chapter together, we're going to be seeing how as an overflow of this love, of this glory of God, the creation came into being, how we get to be caught up in it. And the great privilege that is for us. And why we want everyone to know about Jesus and what he's done. Because don't look elsewhere. Don't look outside of him for the longings of your heart to be satisfied. He's the one. Look to Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for the plan. I want to thank you that before the beginning, from this place of glorious, loving relationship, you created the universe. And you entered, Lord Jesus, you came as the Son of God, entering into this world and to live the perfect life and to die the sinner's death and to conquer sin and death and guilt and shame, to rise again three days later gloriously. And now that love has shone into our hearts through your Holy Spirit who lives in us. In him we live, in him we move and have our being. I pray, Lord, let us rejoice in this love today for your glory. Amen.